already been up here and said a whole bunch of stuff, but good morning, church. <laughs> um, I'm excited. This is, this is not the first time I've ever preached, but this is the first time I've ever preached at Harvest Land. Um, and I'm excited about it. I feel um, like the, the word that God has given me this morning has been building up over a very long time. Um, and me actually preaching this morning is me taking a step in obedience to God has asked me to step outside of my comfort zone, um, you know, to, to get up here and preach. I'm not afraid to get up in front of people. I honestly don't even know what I was afraid of, but, um, all I know is a few months ago he said, you need to preach. And I said, okay. And I just kind of waited. And then, you know, we sent my parents to Florida for their anniversary and I figured I should just say I'm preaching, and then I can't get out of it. I have to do it. And so that's exactly what happened. Um, and surprisingly enough, as I was putting things together this week, I texted my dad and said, so I'm finding that I can't fit all of the stuff I want to share into one sermon, so I'm going to preach next week too. <laughs> um, but I'm excited, um, and I feel like this is something, this is a word for me, and it has been. Um, especially this past year, and I really feel like this is something that God wants um, his people and his church to know. Uh, so today, the for the next two weeks, I, just, I guess I should say, we're going to be talking about identity in Christ. Thanks, Emily. That's a very uh, passionate topic for her, for anybody that doesn't know. That's why she clapped. But um, it's we, we hear that phrase a lot. For me, growing up in church, I heard it all the time. Um, and I would even use it like we have to find our identity in Christ and stuff. But I don't. I really don't think I understood what it meant. Um, I didn't know exactly what it meant to find your identity in Christ. Probably, honestly, in the most real way, maybe in bits and pieces as I grew up. But I don't think I fully came to like a true, rock solid understanding of my identity in Christ until this year. And when I learned about it and saw how, how much it changed, it changed everything. My life has not been the same since God gave me this revelation, and I started to realize how crucial it is for God's people to understand this as well. So identity is defined as the fact of being who or what a person is. So our identity is a fact. It's a fact that encompasses everything that we are, who we are, what we are. And from the very, very beginning, at the most basic of our identity, at the, the deepest core, uh, we know that the, the Bible says that God created us in his own image. And, you know, that's that first part. I think that's pretty cool, to be created in the image of God. That makes me, it's very humbling for me. Um, but as life and time and experience and sin um, creep into our lives, and we've all sinned, we, we can easily sort of misplace our identity. We can put it in other things, but it can also be sort of lost. It can be confused, it can be twisted, and it can be warped uh, into something that it was never meant to be. You know, God didn't create us to live in that identity. Um, a, few, a few weeks ago, I was, I, was, I was not feeling too good, whatever, and so I was taking a bath, and I was in there for a long time, and my fingers just were so pruney. And when I got out of the bathroom, um, I went to check my phone, and my phone has one of those nifty little fingerprint readers on the back of it um, to unlock it. And I went to unlock my phone, and it wouldn't work. And I was like, my, my fingers were so wrinkled, you know, and pruny and distorted that it could not read my fingerprint. Um, and it was weird, just, you know, those, like, little moments. I'm just sitting here trying to unlock my phone on a sick day. And, and right in that moment, God said, that's what I'm to some people is that 
you know, I gave them that fingerprint, that identity, but it's becoming warped by sin, by the world, by their doubts, by the devil. And, you know, it's his desire to, to bring us back into the identity that we were created to have um, and to accept and understand our identity in Christ. So it doesn't matter how much the world, how much any of these things distort or warp our identity because Jesus is always greater. He always is. Um, so the scriptures that I'm mainly going to focus on today, um, I kind of have two different passages, but the one we're kind of actually going to read through is in Exodus chapter 3. Um, if anybody is following in their Bibles, I don't know how oh, it's still working. Awesome. Um, can I just say real quick that anytime there's like glitches in a church service, I'm always like, that means God's going to do something cool today. Um, but Exodus chapter 3 is the story of Moses and the burning bush. Anybody who has ever been to a Sunday school class probably knows, you know, the gist of that story. Um, but just a little bit of background, um, kind of leading up to this moment. Um, Moses was an Israelite. He was Hebrew, but he was living and growing up, and he was raised in Pharaoh's palace. And one day he sees an Egyptian, you know, sort of beaten down and attacking one of his people. And so he goes up to the Egyptian and he kills him to protect this guy, and then he buries his body in the sand. Um, Not a shining moment, and I'm sure not a moment he was proud of, for sure. Um, But when Pharaoh found out that he had killed an Egyptian, he sent people out to, like, catch him because, you know, he had had to be sentenced. He was in trouble. And so he ran to escape, um, and he ran to Midian. And um, I was looking up, up the name, of Midian, um, and a little bit more. I just did some research on it. Um, and the land of Midian was established by one of Abraham's sons named Midian. And the name is derived from the Hebrew, Hebrew verb din, which means to judge or plead. Um, it has to do with governing or covering over a people. And so I just thought it was sort of ironic because Moses and, you know, his call, the call that God had on his life, the true purpose for which he was created to lead God's people out of Egypt and to, you know, cover them. And he literally pled before God, you know, when God was like, I can't handle their, their disobedience. Like, I'm, I'm through with this. And Moses was like, no, 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 please. You know, he literally pled and he did those things over God's people, but he was running away from his shame and from his sin, from his mistake. He was running away from those things, but he ran straight into the place where God was going to call him into the person that he was going to be. I just think that God is so much bigger than we could ever know. And even in times when we feel like we're running, that's, that's how I feel with my personal story. Um, I went through a time when I was in high school that I just, I feel like I, I was trying to run from God so hard. I don't think I could have tried to run any harder from him. Um, but he he used everything, like the things that came out of that season. Obviously, there were, you know, there were pains, there were things to work through. But he taught me so many things as he was pulling me out of that, that shaped my ministry and everything that I am, who I am today, that that was part of what he used to help establish my identity and help me see my identity in Christ. But anyway, so back to Moses. He, he runs off to Midian. He's hiding, and he's here. He settles down. He gets a family, and he you know pretty much forgets about Egypt. That's just a thing of the past, and this is where he is now. So um, in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, 
It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So the first thing that stands out to me here is that um, God came to him during just an everyday moment. You know, Moses was just a shepherd. He was not, that was, and that was kind of like a, like a poor job back then. It wasn't anything to be like excited or brag about. Um, but he was a shepherd, and he was content with that. But it was just one day while he was taking care of the flocks that he had this life-changing moment with God, that he had this encounter with God. And to me, um, I just think about how great God's desire is to be near to us. I mean, look at what he did about when he, he sent Jesus so that he could tear the veil so that there would be no separation between us. And that, that's something that we first need to always understand and to remember is that God desires to be close to us, that he loves us and he wants us. You know, he wants relationship with us. He doesn't want to hear from us every time we need something. He doesn't just want to hear from us on Sunday morning. He doesn't only want to hear from us if our favorite worship song is playing. He wants a relationship. He wants to walk with us through those everyday moments. Verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So I find it interesting you know, that he, he's, he's like intrigued because of like this weird thing that's happening. Like the bush is on fire, but the bush itself is not like turning into ashes. I don't really understand. So he's kind of like, he, he's clearly not looking. His mind at this point isn't like, oh my gosh, like I'm about to have an encounter with Jehovah. Holy crap. He is, you know, just kind of like, what the heck is going on? This is kind of weird. I can't wait to go back and tell people, you know, about this bush I saw. And so, um, I think that sometimes we, we don't always recognize when God is trying to speak to us and when he is trying to move toward us because our perspectives are skewed. We have our focus on other things. Our hearts are set elsewhere. Our minds are set elsewhere. And so in those everyday moments, because I believe that God wants to speak to us always, I believe at any given second of any day that if you stop and listen, God has something to say to you. Um, but... You know, and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. We, we just let other stuff get in the way. We let other stuff take priority, and we often miss those things. Verse 4. I should have brought some water. My bad. Lesson number one from my first sermon here. Uh, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. So God has sort of initiated this, you know. Moses is, um, he's drawing near, he's got his attention. I think that's something important to note too, that God, God's always trying to get our attention, you know, but in the Bible says that if we draw near to God, that he will draw near to us. And so he didn't, you know, have that big call, like, straight up calling Moses by name, speaking to him like, Moses, Moses, come closer, or don't come closer, uh, you know, giving him direction and speaking to him until he had his attention. You know, if, if we don't want to give God our attention, he's not always just going to force us. Um, you know, that's, I mean, that's how the gospel works. We have free will, we have choice, because he wanted it to be real, he wanted it to be love. And um, so God tries to get our attention, and once he has our attention, 
we're in, now we have that place where our perspective has shifted, our heart has shifted, our mind has shifted because our attention is on him and we can hear what he has to say to us. So if we're not giving him attention outside of a Sunday church service or outside of a weekly or a monthly Bible study, we're, we're missing a lot that he has to say to us about who we are. So we also see here after this initiation of contact that God says to take off your sandals. He gives us a very, very small sort of call to obedience. You know, I mean, obviously he's taking off his shoes because it's holy ground, um, but it's just, it's a small thing. And I think about breakthrough, and I don't think I can have an understanding of breakthrough unless I have an understanding of obedience first, because I believe that obedience leads to breakthrough. I think that in any kind of battle that we would face, whether it's insecurity, whether it's shame, whether it's fear, pain, unforgiveness, selfishness, confusion, whatever it might be, that the breakthrough's there. Like, God already purchased that for us. Jesus purchased that for us on the cross. The victory has been won, and it's waiting. But God isn't just going to, like, when you say, God, I need a breakthrough, he's not just going to, like throw you up into the breakthrough you know he he calls us to take a step we have to have some faith there's always going to be whether it's a big thing because there's moments in my life where i've just had to do little tiny things god had a simple thing of obedience you know to text a friend and tell him that i was upset about something he said one time a few months ago and i feel like god is saying i need to tell him that i forgive him um, for hurting me to me that's something so small or maybe it's something really big, like when God told me that he wanted me to go to Trinidad for four months um, to train and learn about missions there and learn about his heart for the world. So there's big steps and there's small steps. But in order to get to our breakthrough, we have to break through. God has already laid it out there for us. But he's just saying, like, okay, like, it's done, it's finished. Can you just take, just take your shoes off? Right? And, and, and he's patient with us, and he'll walk us through that process of breakthrough. It's not like he's like, okay, I did it. Now you have to do this, and I'm just going to stand back and watch. He's literally down there with us, that relationship. He desires that to be walking with us through our breakthrough. Um, I actually loved what Clara said this morning during worship about kind of the narrow road um, because I, I sort of saw something as I was putting this together that sometimes we we feel like maybe before us is this deep canyon and there's this really tiny... Has anybody ever seen pictures of like those riggedy little like wood step drawstring, or not drawstring, but bridges that go across, you know, like in the jungle or the forest or something? And you look at that and you're like, I would never walk across that thing if my life depended on it because there's no way that would hold you up. I feel like sometimes when God is calling us, um, you know, to obedience and to do things that we're standing in front of this bridge... And God is on the other side, and he's just like, come here. Aw, thanks, babe. He's great. Um, so we're, we're focusing on the circumstance. You know, we're looking at this bridge. We're looking at logic. We're like, that doesn't look stable. There's like three steps missing in the middle of it. Who knows how long those ropes have been here. Surely no one's taking care of this thing. If I were to fall, there's like, I'm, I'm going to die, obviously. And we just look at our circumstances, and we become overcome by the fear. And so we have a choice there, though, is that we can give in to the fear, and we can stay on that side of the bridge, or we can sort of maybe put on a blindfold and say, like, all right, God, like, I'm going to do it. 
just take my hand and walk me across it. And what we don't realize is that as soon as we put on a blindfold, it sounds like blind faith. That's not really the example I'm trying to give, but it's that trust that you're not focusing on what you see. And so as soon as you choose to take God's hand and let him walk you, you realize that the bridge isn't there anymore. The ravine isn't even there anymore. It's just like a path. Like he's just, he has paved the way and he's just walking you across it. But if we give in to fear and if we don't understand that we have access to peace and to courage in those moments, then we'll never cross that bridge and we'll never make it to the things that God has for us because he has good things in store for us. So obedience leads to breakthrough. Verse 6. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So Moses wasn't afraid of this weird, mystical, talking, burning bush until he realized that Jehovah was inside of it until he realized that it was God that was inside of it. And at this time um, in history, I sort of talked about this a little bit at our Christmas Eve, or our Christmas service, that, you know, back then they didn't have that close face-to-face kind of interactions with God like we can today. You know, that's Jesus came to allow that. And so back then it was kind of like scary and weird and like rare for people to have these face-to-face interactions with God. And so, you know, back then for this to be happening to Moses would just be like, it almost would be like an alien concept, I would imagine, to him to be like, God, the God, the one true God, Jehovah, the God of my people is right here, let alone like he's talking to me through this like burning but not burning bush. It would be a very confusing time, I would imagine. And it says that he hid his face. And when I think of the reasons why somebody would hide their face, um, and even psychology, you know, like just people who study body language and stuff would all agree that people hide their face because of shame. People hide their face because of embarrassment, or they don't feel good enough, so they won't look you in the eye. You know, they're afraid for whatever reason. And um, when I think, what did Moses have to be ashamed of? I would imagine... If I was Moses, if I, when I finally realized that this was God talking to me, I would have been like, oh no, he knows what I did to that Egyptian. I'm about to die. Like, th- this is it for me. I'm, I'm going to get, he's going to smite me. I'm going to be done. Like, dang it. <laughs> and just kind of like panicking, like not understanding everything that's going on. And just like, I don't know. That's just, that's my perspective. That was the first thing I thought of. If I was in his shoes, I would be like, he's here to punish me because I killed somebody and then I ran away, hid the body. Like, that's super messed up. But, you know, this kind of sucks. But, verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, Lazavites. Um, And by the way, this is land that was promised to Abraham all the way back, you know, chapters before um, in Genesis 
or a book before in Genesis, whatever, but he, um, God promised that land to God's people. And so here we are, God is saying, I have heard my people's cry and I'm going to deliver them to the land. I'm going to fulfill the promise that I gave to your father, you know, Abraham or all the way back, your ancestors, it's going to be fulfilled. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So back to Moses now, thought I was going to die, possibly, and now I'm like, okay, took a different turn, but that's awesome. God is responding. He hears his people cry, his people's cry, and he's saying he's going to fulfill his promise. He's going to rescue them. That's awesome. And then verse 10, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What? If I, were, if I were Moses, I would imagine in that moment that he was very confused, just still processing everything that's going on. But, you know, and he's all excited, like, God's going to deliver his people. He's going to do amazing things. He's saying that he's going to fulfill his promises, but now he, but he wants me to do what? I'm the one that's going to, he's going to use me to do that. And I don't know, has anybody else ever had a moment like that? in their life. I have moments like that so much where God is like, these awesome things are coming or like, I'm going to do really cool things in, in this and in your church or whatever in your life. And I'm just like, awesome. Praise Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And he's like, but, but I want you to do this. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Well, that's not where I thought I saw this going, but that's okay. You know? Um, and, but that's how we increase our faith. And like I said, that's where that relationship comes in. You know, when God gives us promises and he says, again, we're talking about the breakthrough. I want you to step into the breakthrough. Just take off your shoes. Um, that we, we have kind of that moment of choice. And I think one of the defining factors at times for a lot of people in the church, uh, or just in general, that when God calls us to do something, the reason that we're afraid to or that we say no is because we lack our identity and understanding of our identity of who he created us to be. And so this next statement that Moses makes after God tells him, so you go and bring my people out of Egypt, um, it just, to me, when I read it, it just showed so much. It revealed, it's a simple sentence, it seems like, but it just, I think it reveals a deep pain and self-doubt and questioning. Verse 11 says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, in a lot of situations, that could be taken as humility, but there is a difference between humility and shame, absolutely. And based on the way the rest of the conversation goes with God and Moses, I am led to believe that it came from a place of fear and shame, that he, he did not feel like he was worthy. He was like, I'm just a shepherd who's made some really awful mistakes. Like, you, I am surely not the person. There's got to be better people out there, Right. He's essentially saying, you know, he literally says the words, who am I, in that sentence. And those words were just highlighted for me as I read them off the page. Um, You know, he basically is saying, like, I can't move past my failure. I can't move past my shame because I don't understand who I am. How could God use me after what I've done? I don't have anything to offer. I'm not good enough. So-and-so is way better at doing that kind of a thing. Or the pastor will take care of it. Or this leader will take care of it. We, we can use all of these different kinds of excuses, you know, um, that, that are really kind of, we're just, we're making these excuses to cover up the fact that we just don't feel worthy to do it. But 
it's interesting because when Moses reveals this moment of sort of, you know, vulnerability and lack of self-confidence, God doesn't speak into his shame by saying like, no, Moses, like, you're so great. You're awesome. Like, you can do anything. Like, he, that's not really the way he responds here. And I think it's very interesting. In verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. And this is the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God answers our question of who am I with I am. Without knowing God, without having a relationship with our creator, with our savior, knowing his personality, his characteristics, and understanding who he is, we will never be able to fully understand who we are and what we were created to be. And, and I mean a real relationship. And, you know, to understand who God is, you've got to read the Bible. It reveals so much about his character. The more that I read and study on God's word, even in the Old Testament, the more and more just like inexplicably and amazingly I begin to understand deeper and deeper of who God is. And the more that I learn about who God is, the more confident that I am in the things he's called me to do and be because I truly am just becoming ingrained in this truth. Like, it's not this verse that says, like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's a good verse. A lot of people know it. It's probably even a lot of maybe, like, non-churchgoers that are familiar with that verse. But it's not, like, a happy, encouraging verse for me to read. It's my truth. That is my rock, that I can do anything because Christ gives me strength. Sorry, I think my earrings are hitting the microphone. should have worn some different ones. But... You, you, have, you, you have to know God's word. He reveals himself to us through his word. And if we're not reading our Bibles, and I'm not talking about like, you know, those same 25 verses that get cycled through the Christian inspirational Facebook page, you know, the ones that are always showing up and that everybody can recite and they know them. I'm not talking about those. Not that they're bad verses, but the whole word of God. You have to understand the whole picture. God reveals his plan for the universe from Genesis to Revelation. And if you just read Genesis without reading the Gospels, you'd be real confused. You know, if you just read Revelation without reading, uh, you know, other parts of the Bible, you'd be, well, you have to feel like you could get confused reading that one no matter what. But you know what I'm saying. We have to, we have, to have that relationship through him and learning about who he is through the scriptures. So God sees Moses in this situation, um, you know, God, God replies, I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent me to you. And um, in the next couple of verses, Moses is kind of just like, he keeps submitting to fear. Like God can obviously, Moses is not understanding, you know, that what God is trying to get through to him. You know, you haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power. Let me, let me give you some examples of my power here. So he tells Moses exactly what to say. He gives him reassurance that God is going to give him authority to speak over the people. He reassures him that the elders of Israel will listen to him. He even says, God says, I will strike the Egyptians in a way that they will want you guys to leave, and they will give you their gold and silver on the way out the door. 
Moses is still not getting it. He's still submitting to fear. He's still stuck, you know, in this, this warped identity. So God said, all right, let's try some power moves. Throw your staff on the ground. So he throws his staff on the ground, and it turns into a snake, all right? That's pretty cool. Turns back into a staff, and he says, now put your hand inside your cloak. He puts his hand in his cloak. He pulls it out. His hand is covered in leprosy. I would freak out, okay? I'd be like, I don't care that I'm standing right here in front of God right now. Like, I don't want this. Take it away. And he's like, well, put it back in your cloak. He pulls it out, and it's perfectly healed. And then he said, if none of that works, just get some river from the Nile. Just no, no, no biggie. Just get river from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and when it hits the ground, it'll turn to blood. So these are the signs that... These are the signs to the people that the God of their fathers has appeared to you. That's a lot of signs. That's a lot of reassurance. But Moses still is submitting to that fear. And he says to the Lord, pardon your servant. This is in verse 10. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I have slow of speech and tongue. A lot of uh, biblical scholars say that... um, this scripture suggests that Moses may have had a stutter, whatever it might have been. Um, you know, he's now he's now he's focusing on his shortcomings specifically, um, not just saying like, "Who am I? I'm not good enough." Now he's like given like he's getting into the real excuses part. Well, I'm not a good speaker. I can't do that. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not good at that kind of thing. You want me to get up and speak in front of people, but I can't speak. And going through this, um, and then in verse 11, the Lord says to him again. He's not focusing on, like, making Moses feel better about himself. He's trying to get him to understand that in order to understand who he is, he needs to understand I am. And so verse 11, the Lord replies to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. But in verse 13... Moses still says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. And ultimately, we know that Moses does go, and God uses him to set God's people free. Um, And he finally begins to understand who God created him to be. But just that statement there really resonates me, that, you know, "Pardon, pardon me from having to do this. Please send someone else. Because I felt that way just this year with a lot of things. And I think about, you know, why, why, did, why did Moses resist the good and great things that God was calling him to? And the problem, really, that's going on here for, for Moses and for all of us is that we, ha- we live within a capped atmosphere. So despite being called and identified by God, who controls the universe, who is the sovereign king, who was bef- there before time itself existed... We still say, despite all of that, I see, I live by my humanity and its, un, and its limitations. In other words, I can't. I can't do that. Has anybody here ever told God, I can't, when he's asked you to do something? And I hear Moses saying that, you know, when he's saying, please say someone else, he's making all these excuses. He's basically saying, like, I can't do that. I can't do what you're asking me to 
I'm going to share just a a little bit brief part of my testimony from this past year. And this is actually going to be the first time that I have ever shared this portion of my testimony so publicly. Um, But I I believe that God has called me to share the things that have caused me pain because the more that I share my testimony, the less power that it holds over me. So um, about, how old am I? About four or so years ago, I was praying a scripture um, that I was asking God from the Psalms to create a new heart within me to search out, you know, any places of darkness, anything that was not in his will in my life and in my heart. I wanted him to show them to me so that I could correct them. And I, I was expecting him to show me, you know, maybe some sin in my life that I didn't realize I was doing or something, but he had a different plan for that. He did pull deep and dark things out from within, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't sin. What ended up happening was God literally brought up to the surface some repressed memories from my childhood um, of sexual trauma. And so here I was at like 22, 23 years old, and it was like it had just happened to me for the first time. I literally, I didn't realize, I didn't know that it happened. And, um, and it was, was really hard. It was, it was traumatizing when, when they came up. I was, I was so just stricken with fear, and I was, I was literally afraid to get out of bed for like a week if I had to go to the bathroom, I got out of the bed and I like ran to the bathroom and ran back and like got under the covers because I was literally scared of what? I don't know. It was just that's what was taking over my mind at that time. And God started to show me over the years, you know, um, some things. Some, he introduced me into some people and some resources that were sort of helping me to work through that and to bit by bit lay pieces of it at the cross but it wasn't until, I, I was feeling a lot better with it the, this past year and a half or so. But we were at church camp this year, and uh, in case anybody doesn't know, Mike and I were asked to be part of the student ministries team um, for Open Bible East since Josh stepped down. Now they have a team of people that work on it. So we were on this team. It was our very first event that we had ever run together. Um, and one of the days we planned to have a discussion panel um, during the morning service for the kids where they could submit questions anonymously and then the panel, you know, a, a selected panel of leaders would answer those questions for them. And it was literally like 1 a.m. the night before and we, we were standing outside with Sean and Abby talking about the plans for the next morning and um, Abby and I had asked Sean, Who, who's going to be on the panel? We don't even know. Like, you know, can we, we're on the team, can we be kept in the loop a little bit about what's going on? We knew that the camp speaker, Derek Sissel, was going to be on it, and that our regional executive director, Josh Grimes, was going to be on it. And when I asked him this question, he said, oh, I thought you and Abby could do it. And um, I don't know where she was coming from, but I got so defensive, and I was instantly like, you can't just ask me to do something like that at the last minute. And I just, I, I, don't, like, I don't even understand. It was such a strong reaction to just saying, I can't do it. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. And as I was talking to Mike after I walked away from that conversation, the, literally like the words that were coming out of my mouth in conversation with him were, I'm not good enough to be on a panel with the camp speaker and the regional executive director. And right then and there, in that moment, God spoke to me and he said, like, you know, you, you don't have a lot of self-worth. 
Like, I, you do, but you don't. And it just, it really, I, I just, I guess I couldn't believe because I hadn't really been having issues with that. So I thought all of that pain from my childhood and all the emotions that went with it, I hadn't, it hadn't been surfacing in such a long time. And I thought I was good and that it was kind of let go. But he showed me in that moment that I was still defining myself by what had happened to me. And I was living my life as a child of God all of these years, living with a capped atmosphere. You know, I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with hearing uh, you know, phrases kind of like, don't put the Holy Spirit in a box or don't put God in a box. Um, and I have said that for years, but I was doing that. I was putting myself in a box and I wasn't letting God get, or I guess I was putting God outside the box. I don't know. But I was, I was living with this capped atmosphere. I was looking at my humanity and my experience, and I was living under that limitation. And I was letting it keep me from the things that God was calling me to do. And the events literally just days following, God just, as soon as he revealed it to me, as soon as he had my attention on that matter, he just started to show me step by step little things and i said and i was starting to realize like you know what i don't feel worthy but if he says that i need to do this then i'm going to do it and that happened while we were on our trinidad missions trip um it happened after we came home and the the icing on top of the cake was that um the president of open bible called me one night and said, I'm having a panel, like the national board is meeting, to discuss the future of open Bible churches as a movement. And I'm like, that's cool. And he said, and I'm inviting six people from open Bible in the whole nation, from the like from outside the national board, to, to be a part of that meeting as well. And I want you to be one of them. And I can tell you that if if I hadn't let God address, if I hadn't started to agree with God on who he created me to be and who he said that I was when Randall asked me that. If, if he had called me like two and a half months earlier, I would have said no because I literally would have said, I can't do that. I'm not good enough to be in a room with those people to make such big, important, impactful decisions. But when he called me, I instantly, I just, I didn't even hesitate. And I said yes. And even though I didn't necessarily feel worthy, I got off the phone call with him and I just cried tears of joy because I could not believe that God, you know, he just, he took my broken mess and he wanted to use me. And he, he wanted to elevate me and lift me up, not for my own pride, but to show me that I have worth because he purchased that worth on the cross. So I was living before that, though, all my life without even realizing. I was living my life as a child of God with a capped atmosphere. I had access to God's fridge, but I was just sitting there hungry at the table. Didn't even realize it. My shame and my pain and my insecurity had already been paid for and destroyed on the cross, but I was still walking around with it. But we don't have to. I think sometimes our, our insecurity and our, our you know, self-worth issues, our pain, our shame, whatever it might be, it's kind of like we all have this giant pile of dirt in our lives. And God wants to help us work through that. He wants to heal it. He wants to speak into it. And, you know, he's like just even sometimes it's like I think all he's asking is give me one scoop at a time. So I almost imagine us with like, you know, those little kid-sized sandbox scoops literally like a cat litter scoop. You're just taking one scoop and then you're bringing it over and you're putting it in front of the cross. 
and then you're getting one scoop, you know, over time. And then before you know it, God has completely brought you through something and he has healed you um, and he has restored you and he has helped you to understand who you are. But so often I think that we, we tend to like try to protect our dirt and we might do it because we're afraid that scooping the dirt means we have to turn around and look at it. Or maybe Satan has just warped our identity so much that we're like, what's the point? Because there's, there's no healing for me. It's just, this is just my life. Like maybe you would even say like, I have a relationship with God, but I'm just always in pain. I'm always hurting from this. And it's just, it is what it is. And that could not be farther from the truth. But what we don't realize is that God wants to take our dirt and use it to plant a garden so that he can start, you know, just putting our, our testimony in there. Something He's going to turn that dirt into something that will increase our faith and that will lead to breakthrough, the breakthrough that we've been waiting for. But it's like we're standing there when God is saying, like, okay, give me the dirt, and we're like, no, 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 don't touch it. But Why? We're living in a capped atmosphere. And the only way to overcome a capped atmosphere is for us to see who we are in Christ and to agree with it. So there's two parts to that. The first is we have to see. We have to search out and seek what God has to say about us. And this goes back to what I was saying about Scripture. You need to read the Bible because God not only reveals so much about himself through his word, but he reveals things about us in his word as well. He has a lot to say about us in his word. And he will speak to us as we read his word. So you have to see first what God has to say about you. And then second, you have to agree with him. Even if you don't see it or if you don't feel it or believe it, and even when agreeing with God makes absolutely no sense at all to you, it's still our portion. That word portion... um, I've heard that song. It's in a few worship songs. I hear it every now and then. Um, And I I looked it up a little bit. And in Lamentations 3.24, which is kind of a depressing chapter, if you were to read it, which makes this statement all the more powerful. It says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I have hope. So we agree, I say to myself, he literally says, I say to myself, I remind myself, I have to tell myself, God is my portion. And then I have hope. And that hope gives us strength to keep going on, to increase our faith. But how do we understand what what does that portion mean? And portion um, in the original Hebrew literally means that we can enjoy the spiritual perks that belong to priests. And to give a little bit more context, back then in the Old Testament, um, in Numbers 18.20, um, Aaron was the, the high priest, and so this is God speaking to Aaron of God's people. You will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. Yikes. That doesn't sound very positive. But then he goes on to say, I am your portion and your inheritance among them. And so basically back then, uh, you know, the priests, they kind of, they, di- they didn't have that. They didn't have, like, land to call their own. Their, their place was in the temple. But God was saying, I'm not necessarily going to give you the stuff that all the other people and all the other tribes have in that sense, in that kind of, you know, grasping material ownership sense, but in replacement for your, your, your duty and your service in the temple, 
I will be your portion. And I will be your inheritance. And God, if God is our portion, because again, going back to, you know, I remind myself that God is my portion, therefore I have hope in him. So if God is our portion, God has unlimited access to every single resource that we could ever need to overcome anything in this life, to lead us in this life, and to keep us in the next. That's our portion. And I think a lot of people don't, I mean, even me, I walked around for years not understanding that that was my portion, that I had claim through the blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. I had a claim to that portion. And it wasn't until I started agreeing with God that that was my portion, that he is my portion, that I finally was able to start taking a hold of it. So we learn what our portion is through reading the Bible, through scriptures, through God's word. And when we start to agree with God about who we are, the outcome is an open atmosphere. Before we were living in a capped atmosphere, and now the atmosphere is open And basically the mentality that comes with an open atmosphere is I have expectancy for God to flow through me. I expect God to just constantly be flowing through me because he has made me worthy. He has declared me worthy. He is the one who equips those that he calls. It's not about me. It's not about my mistakes. It's not about my past. It's not about my shortcomings because God is my portion. And I expect that he is going to be flowing through me. I used to think that I was not worthy because of what had been done to me. I I thought that I wasn't worthy to be used by God the way that he wanted to. I would literally look at my peers and other people and compare myself to them and say, well, you know, they've got that. That's, I'm not, I can't do that. I'm not good enough to do that. And I would always push things off onto other people that, you know, that was kind of my way of making an excuse But deep down, it was just because I didn't feel like I was good enough. But now, as I was saying before, all those sort of, you know, verses that in the past might have just been encouraging to read in the moment and might have been sort of focused on emotions at the time, now that I have continued to agree with God and understand, now that he has opened my atmosphere, they are my truth. I am a new creation. I am not... What anyone has done to me, I am not what I have done. I am the result of what Jesus has done, and that is new. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There is literally nothing that will be impossible for me if I place my faith in God and he calls me to do it. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power of love and self-control. Fear fear is not welcome at my table anymore. When I feel that, I won't accept it I, that because that's my truth, that I haven't been given a spirit of fear. I have peace in the middle of a storm that defies all understanding. It, there's no common sense to it, but it's there because it's my portion, and that is my rock, that is my truth. And I'm daily being renewed by the transforming of my mind through God's word. I'm not just saying that, but I'm literally digging into God's word in a way, and I am acknowledging and declaring as I'm praying, you are renewing your, my mind. God is renewing my mind, and he is. I may have been abused, used, broken, selfish at times, depressed, bitter, and angry, but that's not who I am I was meant for thrones and not graves. 
And so were you. So are you. In closing, I just want to share um, briefly about the, the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37. So just a tiny bit of backstory about this. Um, Ezekiel was a prophet during a time when God's people, they, they were so dispersed and divided. They had been for so long and just beaten down that there was, there was pretty much like no hope. Like God's people were essentially, they had given up. And um, God tells Ezekiel, he wants, to, to, he wants Ezekiel to prophesy to God's people that God is going to restore everything. Um, under, um, he, he says, don't want to get this wrong, David, my servant, who will be king over them, which is referring to when Jesus will come, that through Jesus he plans to restore. That's, that's his plan, is that Jesus is going to come and he's going to restore everything. Um, and then God gives him this vision. So in this vision, Ezekiel is transported to a valley. So imagine a valley, it's big, and the entire valley is covered in dry bones. Just, just dead skeletons everywhere. And um, in the Bible, a corpse that was not properly buried was considered to be cursed by God. Um, so for, for you know, one of God's people to be standing in the midst of all of this and looking at this, and like the Bible literally describes them as dry bones, there was no life you know, the, these bones essentially, from, from what it looked to be, they were cursed, they were done, they were hopeless. If you saw a car accident happen, and you saw a person laying on the road, you know, just kind of like laying there lifeless, you would still run up to them and try to like do CPR, resuscitate, do something to save them, right? Because there's still a chance. But if you saw a skeleton laying on the side of the road, you know, what's the point? You're just, I mean, you might be a little weirded out, like, that's creepy, maybe we should call the police, but you're not going to go try to, like, give CPR and, like, mouth-to-mouth to the skeleton because it is obviously dead and done. But God says, I want you to speak to these bones. I want you to tell them that I will breathe life into them and that they will come to life. And as Ezekiel spoke, these are Ezekiel's words, There was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and the tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up to their feet, a vast army. Have you ever felt just like the things that you were going through, your insecurities, your self-doubts, shame, pain, bitterness, unforgiveness, whatever it is, it's all covered by God. But have you ever just felt like you just you wouldn't be able to overcome it? There was nothing in your power that you would be able to do to get past this incident or this hurt or putting limitations on ourselves like saying, well, I'm just, I'm just an angry person. I just have that kind of a temperament. I have a short temper. We're putting these labels on ourselves, and we're identifying ourselves with things that are not of God. God has a different plan for us and a different identity for us. And I feel like God, God can bring literal life, literal life. I mean, we've seen it. He's risen people from the dead. He rose Jesus from the dead. He can bring literal life to all things that are broken and that are dead and that are hopeless. He brings life. And the scripture says in 1 John 5:12, "He 
He who has the Son, though this is amplified, he who has the Son by accepting him as Lord and Savior has life that is eternal. He who does not have the Son of God by personal faith does not have life. So without Jesus, it is true that we would be like these dry bones. You know, we're, we're dead to our sin. But with Jesus, when you have entered into a personal relationship with him, you are no longer dry bones. Those dry bones may be what some of us have become, but they are not who we are. And I think for far too long, God's people are walking through life just accepting labels that people in the world, and maybe even themselves, that the devil has placed on them. And he, God is looking out at us and he is saying, I have created you and you are greater because of me. He is what defines us and we have to understand, we have to know who he is and know what he has to say about us. If you truly, truly understand and really let it sink in at a deep level what the gospel means, it's, it, it's life-changing. That's why when people get saved, there's a whole 360. They're not the person that they used to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone, is in crea- if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Not just that the new has come, but the old has gone. It's not our identity anymore, and we do not have to walk in that. God wants to take our dirt. He wants to bring our bones to life. He wants us to leave Midian and enter into the promises and calling that he has put before us. And he's already gone there. There's nothing to be afraid of. We just have to trust him. God didn't save us so that we could stay in Midian. And we need to know that what may appear hopeless and dead to us is a field of possibilities for God. We're going to have just a little bit of time um, up at the altar today because for me, it's been very, God has made it very important to me that it's not as important what I have to say this morning as it is uh, to how you respond, how we respond. And so I just want to ask that if there's anyone in here who feels like they're in that place, like they feel like they've been hiding in Midian, or they feel like there's all these area areas in their life that are just, they're just like dried up bones, you're lacking hope, you're lacking encouragement, you're lacking faith, you're feeling shame, you feel like things that you've done in the past or that things have been done to you in the past are making it impossible if you, have, if you have frequent moments with God when he says he wants you to do greater things, he wants you to step out into what he's calling you to become, and you always find yourself saying, I can't, or I, I just, I, someone else can do it. I want to invite you to come up to the front. Just like in the story when Moses was having that conversation with God and he was in the burning bush and he said, take off your shoes. Just a small step of response to God of obedience. I just want to invite anybody to come up if they feel like there is part of your life where you have not been identifying with the identity that Christ has called you to.